back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And in the past three weeks, I have ventured back out into the world and I'm speaking in large conference rooms and I'm going into restaurants where people are actually sipping wine without their masks on. And I have had this feeling like, what is going on here? How can, are we just going to go back to normal and act as if this cataclysmic shift did not happen. And moving into the holiday season, I thought it would be super cool if we talk to someone who thinks about these ideas and where we are as human beings in a more philosophical way. Rabbi Brian Zachary Mayer has founded something that I think you guys are going to completely love. It's called religion outside the box. I have gone through his blogs, through his interviews, through his background, and I am just convinced you are going to enjoy this conversation as much as I do. Welcome, Rabbi. Well, thank you. I, I'm kind of a fanboy of yours also. So it Oh, that's cool. wonderful. I'll take as many as I can get. I just have to start with my entire high school and college. I think my favorite poet was Hafez and you ended up getting a reply from Hafez about a fundamental question you asked him. Talk to me about that. Well, I was with a, a friend and we have the, my partner and her partner, neither of them care for this little game that we play. And uh, we were out to dinner and we put the yellow Daniel Leditsky version of uh, Hafez in between us. And when there's a lulling conversation, we pick up the book and we read a poem to each other. And I don't know why I hadn't told her, but I, I told her, you know, I once wrote Hafiz or Hafez a, a, a letter and she was intrigued. And I told her what I had written to him. And he's a Sufi mystic and he has this love affair with God that it's not even a, they're best buddies. Like he and God laugh and chuckle together. And I wrote Hafez this note. Could you please tell me a secret? Like, how do you do that? Because I'd like some of that too. Mm -hmm. And Hafez wrote just blah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> like, you already know I have no secrets. And it was just this beautiful moment of realizing, oh yeah, we all have all of that inside us. And then you point to his poem where he talks about a truce. One of the things that Hafez has written that actually brought me to my knees. I thought it was so beautiful. He said, would you consider having a long lasting truth with God, with the universe, with reality? Yeah. It's just quite a concept. What you've done with religion outside the box, and forgive me if I mischaracterize it, but I think that you're asking people to have a truce with God. I think you're asking people to come into an organization or a group with like-minded people who might've been disappointed by their religion or hurt by their religion or even abused by their religion. And so let's make a truce with God. Right. And let's come to the table without harboring resentment. That's a hard assumption to make, Sheila, and you know it, to assume that the universe might've made some really bad mistakes. Yeah. And screwed some things up. I mean, there's a reason that we love, there's a newspaper article when someone forgives a murderer yeah. because that's a heroic thing to do. And to yeah. forgive the universe for the death of a loved one mm -hmm. and be willing to come back and have a truce, mm -hmm. that's a holy act. 
Mm. I thought the, that the hardest thing I was going to have to get over was my late husband dying by suicide. And then my daughter was diagnosed with cancer. And um, I think I had more conversations with God in those few months after she was diagnosed than I can even tell you. And I have to tell you what you just described. I've never been able to say to anyone where it was I came to, but I just forgave the universe. There's a you know? great Byron Katie quote, which is a, a line to it that says, you can argue with reality, but you'll lose only 100% of the time. Coming to this truce, coming to accept reality as it is. We don't have to like it. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. Right. It just means accepting. I look at the struggling that's going on right now and even the way that I described people so anxious to get back to work, even though yeah. we're so burned out. So anxious to get productivity up, even though people are saying they're spiritually bereft. So ready and willing to press for more and more and more, even though people actually need time to rest. Judaism, we got a few things right. And this idea of taking a Sabbath, of taking time off, and that that's actually what sustains us is the breath in between. Mm. And I'm not saying that everyone should say Hebrew prayers and do everything on Friday night. I don't give a what you do for rest. Just that you do something mindfully to not do is revolutionary. If there's anything that we got from this pandemic, it was, oh, we've been going too fast. We need to slow down. And I get it. I get this society that we take our anxiety and we put it into our work. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier than sitting with the anxiety. But there's a great quote from Krishnamurti. And he said, to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society is no indication of health. We shouldn't be well adjusted to this society. <laughs> I was just telling a friend of mine who was apologizing and apologizing to her followers for missing a speech because she had a horrible migraine. I was just like, you know, these days rest is a radical act. It really feels radical to say, no, I cannot. My body is not capable of going on. What a terrible place that we've arrived at where you have to do apology after apology for just taking care of one's body. We can do something revolutionary and it's stop stop slow down there's more to life than going faster mm. there's more to life than getting more done mm. all the really good things we enjoy in life don't happen quickly i want to talk to you about your background because you spend all this time in new york city and then la and I am curious because now you're in Oregon and it feels to me like that must have been in some ways just a geographical earthquake every time you moved. It's so completely different in every part of those pieces. So how did that inform your decision to move into this religion outside the box? I tell people I, I have a very calm disposition because I grew up on a very small island which was the island of Manhattan. And it's a joke. That place is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And there's a lie New Yorkers we tell, which is the stress gives me my edge. <laughs> I came to realize, oh my God, we're all colluding. I mean, we can all lie to ourselves and say stress is good for us. No, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. 
And so I got out of New York. I got to Los Angeles, but the culture there was a little too toxic for me. So I dropped out of organized religion when I lived in Los Angeles because it didn't make sense to me to be promoting a path when it's the goal that's the important thing. And I got why we did the path was it's easy to see how many people are bending their knees at the right time at the right prayers. And it's hard to see that they're connecting with their inner soul. But I knew that I had to get the goal as primary and the path was secondary. And I also have this real huge human streak that I don't think there's any kind of God that plays teams. <laughs> I couldn't do that. So I dropped out of organized religion and I became a high school math teacher. And I taught high school math. And that's where I really learned that everything comes from love, not shame. And patience. I have a great quote about patience. It's patience. It doesn't come quickly. <laughs> I absolutely need that shirt. I'd like to wear that around downtown. I'll tell you what patience is, is patience is the ability to not get raged. And I struggle with it. I got kids. Mm -hmm. I live in this world. <laughs> it's hard. Life is hard. Mm -hmm. Life, it ain't for the weak. Yeah, right. You know, I was a reporter before I did this work, and I had this incredible experience where I got to cover the Dalai Lama's visit. And huh. we were in this, it's like a ski resort in Park City, and the Dalai Lama I was like behind him as he was going up on this lift and he was giggling. Uh -huh. He was giggling to the guy next to him. He was having yeah. the best time. And somebody said to him, how is it not to suffer or to feel impatience or to have anger or to have that experience of just, just despising your fellow man? And he said, oh, I have all those things. Of course, I have all those things. And I think, honestly, Rabbi, one of the most humbling things to learn is that even people like yourself who have studied so much still have all of those human experiences. Of course, of course we're all human. But is it more it transitory? Is it more, is it, are you just more accepting of all of it because you, and you don't suffer as much because you do have it? I used to pretend that I didn't. Yeah. And my wife said about that version of me, she said it was like being married to a statue of the Buddha. It wasn't real. I never got angry. I was so scared of my anger until I was about 30. And I, for the first time, got angry. Aristotle has this great quote about anger. He said, anyone can be angry, but to be angry at the right person, at the right time, in the right amount, that is not easy, nor is it something everyone can do. And I have made it a life goal. Can I get angry at the right person at the right time? And those two are already almost impossible in the right amount and for the right reason. Mm. And because you know, sometimes anger is so great at just like telling us it? exactly what we want to know. And it's cathartic and it's fun. <laughs> and yeah. I, and, but we also have to be able to be angry. <laughs> don't like there are certain religious groups that pretend like everything's fine all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like y'all are repressing some deep, dark, you scare me. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea of anger as delicious. I'm going to add a, a piece to it. Part of that delicious is realizing why you like being angry so much. 
because you feel big, because mm. it feels cathartic, mm. because it's fun to scare the sh out of people. And once you can realize that, then you can let go of them. Yeah. But if you don't realize that there's joy in being a dick, <laughs> you're going to be much less likely to give it up. Well, and to have some dickness to pull out from now and then, you know, to be able to actually really swing your dick around, as we say, yeah. <laughs> it, it does feel good. It does feel good, but, I, but you got to be careful. I want to talk to you about religion outside the box, because I'm sure during quarantine, this had to go online, right? Quarantine was one of the best things to happen for us. The biggest stumbling block I had was people were, what Zoom? And now people get on Zoom and my services are Zoomtastic. <laughs> yes, they are. I am so enamored by your impulse to do this. You call it the spiritualigious, is that right? I use the word spiritualigious. Um, that's what this is. It's a spiritualigious gathering we do on Saturday mornings. It doesn't have Hebrew. It doesn't have dogma. It has a loose outline, which always goes a different direction than I intended. And I use the word spiritualigious because people don't have baggage with the word spiritualigious. It's the word spiritual, which people all know, and the word religious, and I mushed them together. So how do you practice in your home? Are you still doing Jewish high holidays? Do you end up putting a Christmas tree up? What is the combination of things that happen at your house? Um, so on Fridays, I will make a challah bread, and I mm. always make two, and I give one to a neighbor. I make a challah bread, and here's a thing that I do every Friday night with my kids and with my beloved. And I'm going to recommend that everyone does this. And here are the rules. Friday night, between the time that you sit down to eat and you start eating, go around the table if you're lucky enough to eat with other people on Friday night. And otherwise, email people or text them. That will work too. But tell all the people who's who you are dining with or thinking about at that time, three things you like about them. Oh, how beautiful. I'm going to do it right now. First thing I like about you is you are brave. Mm. You are brave to have left your own tradition and to have asked questions. That's a brave thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing I like about you is you're wicked smart. Mm -hmm. And how I know that is the smartest people are the people who learn from other people. And you're always learning. You're always learning and opening yourself up. And a third thing I like about you is that you're willing. You're willing to go where other people aren't going. You're willing to talk about, put your own life out there for other people to see and mm. for them to learn from. And that's a really brave act. You know, I um, so appreciate that. Just even that pause and that kind of different reflection is so it's so bizarrely different from the course of what we normally do and hear and think yeah. it kind of stop it's like a spiritual thing to hear someone reflect you in a way that's really deep and meaningful and we get confused all of us get confused that we are our accomplishments we are our possessions and we forget that one of the biggest things we are is in relation to others. Mm. Everyone who's listening, you now have homework. You don't have to do it. I have absolutely no authority over you whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but try it and see if it doesn't change the feeling 
of your dinner and give you a chance to pause. So how many times are people getting together in your organization? Is it a weekly thing? So if you go to rotb.org, religionoutsidethebox.org. So Monday, 40 out of 52 weeks a year, and that's a grueling schedule, but I do it. And I send out a newsletter, and that's like the one you read about Hafez. And that's always got some spiritual religious goodness. So we gather as a community that way, although it's kind of one-sided. Saturday mornings, I run a Saturday service, which is ridiculously open to everyone who wants to log in and join the group. It's cool. And then Tuesday, I have open office hours and we have our own online clubhouse where people post things and it's like our own private Facebook. And and I think that's another thing that we've all learned in the pandemic is you can have really, really real friends who you've never met. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I have so many. And you, you can really connect with people. And I know people get Zoom fatigue and exhausted, but let's also remember this has saved our lives Mm -hmm. that we've been able to keep together and Mm -hmm. have connection through a screen. Let's not curse it all the time. Let's take a moment of gratitude and then we can go back to cursing. You must have people from Mormonism, Catholicism, Zen Buddhism. You must have people who come from your own faith all mixing together. Do you try to avoid theological discussions about who is right? Somebody asked me what percentage of the people who show up are Jewish. I have no idea. It, it doesn't mean anything. Mm. With regard to theology, I happen to be really good at helping adults talk about the G-O-D word. Mm. Um, that's, a, that's a skill I've gotten good at. There's a breakout group called the Shekinah group, because Shekinah is one of the feminine names of God in Judaism. And that group meets totally without me. I don't even think I'm on the invite list anymore. They go deep and talk about God. That's fine. Wow. During the service, I'll often use something I call a God drop. And I'll just do a one little quote about God. The one that I'm going to use tomorrow is from John Shelby Spong, who said, God is not a noun that asks for definition. God is a verb asking us to live with love. Wow. So there's always spiritual direction people can do to help them suss out their God beliefs and what they might inadvertently picked up. Because I do think, Brian, and I don't know, tell me if you're wrong, I do think part of the reason young people in particular are so lost is just I'm seeing the lack of cohesion around a spiritual identity, the lack of belief system coincide with the addiction to our screens and the feeling of isolation and the and the self-reported increase in loneliness and depression and anxiety. And it's interesting to me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, how do we replace what people might have found harmful about religion with something that can actually be beneficial and community giving to them? I don't have that answer. I think that you've named my entire quest to help people find community without the constraints of here here's here's uh, one of the basic problems is that if you have a group and your group's identity is by we are not them mm. and you claim that your group is about love mm-hmm. you're at cross purposes mm. you can't be about love and exclude at the same time hallelujah yeah you know That's like quotable. So many of the things that you've said, I would just like to completely pull out. 
all on one big t-shirt. Yeah. Well, it'd have to be major huge. Well, I don't have that big a body to be able to help. I want to feed you some cake, by the way. You look like a really slight person yourself. Uh, I'm working on a really fat beard to make up for it. <laughs> for me, around that body acceptance piece, it's been fascinating because, you know, my dad was six foot four and 175 pounds, and his nickname was Bones, and my brothers and sisters all look exactly like me. And the culture shifted from like a person who is thin being an ideal to a person who's very curvy and athletic. And I had to go through a real thing of like, Oh, I am not going to be accepted. I am not going to be anywhere close to the ideal. And body shaming comes in both ways. Body shaming for people who believe that someone's frame is too big or someone's right. frame right. is too small. The whole problem is that as long as we're trying to be other than who we are. That's right. We're screwed. That's right. I'd love to have like a, a whole episode on this because I feel really strongly about it that until we actually have true body acceptance, which is every type of body, even those who are disabled, that we are not going to really have body acceptance. Sheila, this, the same goes with if we can't do it with our bodies, how are we going to do it with our brains? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're getting to that point with a lot of people, especially younger people, the way that they view their neurodivergence and the way that they show oh, up cute. in the workplace and just say, I am this kind of person who needs to work this way. It's super cool. But boy, we're going to have a, a whole generation go to their graves having never really accepted the difference in the way their brain works. I do have hope in the, in the kids. I have a boy who just started high school and a few years ago, one of his friends had uh, transitioned genders and I had asked my boy about it. My boy says, like, nobody cares, dad. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, back in my day, I said, I'm really proud of what you guys are able to do. And he said, dad, I don't think we should get credit for not being dicks. Wow. What a great line. Oh my, he should speak. We don't get credit for not being dicks, but we were, you and I were raised in a time where you shamed you. That's how we kept people in line. That's right. Here's a quote I made up about theology. I dropped this one a few weeks ago. I said, with regard to the question, do you believe in God? I don't care about the answer. But with regard to the answer, the last five people would give me as to, were you kind? About that, I truly care. Wow. Here's how to do it. The next five people with whom you interact, be as kind as you can. Not to say to be a doormat to let people walk over you. Sometimes it's kind to set a boundary. Yeah. So the next five people with whom you interact, be kind. And then I know how this game goes because I'm pretty clever. Is once you've done it with those five people, there's another five people. Mm-hmm what we commonly refer to as holiday spirit is actually when you feel that effective kindness is holiday spirit. So if you're looking for it, do your damn exercise. If you, if you can find an accountability buddy, find someone. And at the end of the day, text with one friend and say, here's one thing I witnessed in the world that was kind. And if you know that at bedtime, you're going to be sending someone a note of one witnessed kindness, it's going to force you during the day to look for that kindness. Mm. And that's going to move your eye away from looking for the other things and keeping your eye looking towards, did I witness a kindness today? 
you you have you have to have because you're alive and but just noticing it and bringing it to the forefront of our conscious i will also just say that i do believe that if you have had a pretty rough time if you've been able to suffer if you've been able to actually feel what it feels like to be cracked open by life i feel like the beauty's just omnipresent then it's like it comes up in hd we forget from time to time I can't believe how quickly this time went. I feel like we just started. One of the qualities of a mystical experience is mystical experiences have a different sense of time. Even when they're really, really slow, just notice when time's going at different speeds. And if you frame it that that's a mystical experience, <laughs> it's kind of cool. Rabbi, I just want you to tell people once again how they can find religion outside the box and just please make sure that you'll come back and join us when Dr. Jim Polo is here because he is so, so excited to meet you. I want to talk with him too. Uh, go to rotb.org. You can find me there. I got to go get busy on that t-shirt. It's going to take me forever. <laughs> Rabbi Brian Zachary Mayer, thank you again so much. Wow, what an extraordinary conversation. <laughs> <laughs>